0: Welcome back to Twin Peaks Talk, the weekly, bi-weekly Twin Peaks recap show where we go episode by episode, um, summarizing and dissecting and discussing this very iconic TV show. We are presented by the Cult Film Companion Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cultfilmcomp, we are also available on all major podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. It's free for you, and um, it'll let you know when we drop in new episodes because we don't have a set schedule. So episodes may drop sporadically, and you don't want to miss a single episode, especially Twin Peaks Talk. Um, if you're big fans of the show, as we are, you, you definitely don't want to miss out on the discussion. We love hearing feedback, so... um Me and uh, Dr. Sean Travers are both very active on social media, so please feel free to reach out. We love to hear from people. Uh, We love to hear your thoughts on Twin Peaks, your theories on Twin Peaks. Always interesting um, to hear from people. Um, We're featured on the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, a great place to check out video casts and podcasts from around the world. We're also a featured podcast on Newsly, which is an audio app... uh, audio app for iOS and Android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. So no more scrolling through your phone. Let someone do the reading for you. Check out Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me and please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M, that's cult film, drop the I, pop in a one and get a month free of Newslee's premium service, courtesy of us. Now, with all that out of the way, I would like to welcome back my um, esteemed co host for Twin Peaks Talk, Dr. Sean Travers, whose book, Trauma and American Popular Popular Culture and Cult Text 1980 to 2020, is available everywhere on, on Amazon. And if you're interested, please. Go to her Twitter page and look at the Twin Peaks. The Twin Pinned Tweet, it's tough. It's a tough one to talk talking about Twin Peaks with a pinned tweet. But she, her pinned tweet is where uh, all the information about her book. So please do her a favor and check it out and uh, show her some support. Uh, Dr. Travers, welcome back to Twin Peaks Talk. Always a pleasure to talk with you. How are you doing today on this um this national it's a it's a national holiday for you. We don't have it here, but uh, this is Saint Patty's Day, Saint Patrick's Day.
1: Uh, yeah, we, we get the day work and school, so that's always nice.
0: Yeah, kind of and and, and, and any excuse to put on something green, right? And um, and chow down on some good uh, Irish cooking. So we are talking now. We have reached officially episode five. Although this is the sixth episode in season one, but that's just the way, Twin Peaks. We, we wouldn't have it any other way. So this episode is, um, didn't have a title, but what the, the title that it goes by now is Cooper's Dreams. Dreams, plural. And to uh, start out the episode, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read uh, Margaret Lanterman, the log Lady's little intro here for the episode, because, um, depending on how you're viewing twin peaks or reviewing twin peaks, you may or may not get the, the log lady intro. So, um, and, uh, considering that she actually plays a, 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 rather large role in this particular episode, it, it's, it's apropos. So, um, this, these are the, uh, the words that we are greeted with for this particular episode. I play my part on life's stage. I tell what I can to form the perfect answer. But that answer cannot come before all are ready to hear. So I tell what I can to form the perfect answer. Sometimes my anger at the fire is evident. Sometimes it is not anger really. It may appear as such, but could it be a clue the fire I speak of is not a kind fire. Interesting, um, considering there's there's a lot of talk about fire and smoke and owls in this particular episode. Um, so we are nearing the uh, the tail end of season one. This episode is credited with to uh, co creator Mark Frost, uh, which is his first solo writing credit. I believe he co wrote the first two episodes with David Lynch, but this is his first solo credit, and it is directed by Leslie Linka Glader 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 Glader. Well, whatever her name is, I apologize for mispronouncing it. Um, this would be her first uh, episode that she directed, but she would later go on to direct several episodes in season two and would go on to direct for Homeland and Mad Men, I believe. So either Mad Men or Breaking Bad, one of the two. I think it's Mad Men. But so her, she's still working, and... um. She's, uh, she's very well known within the tv industry i don't i don't believe that she has any feature film credits but um she's a, a very prolific tv director and this will be the first um so both her and mark frost th- these are their first credits solo credits but they they will be returning characters um before we get into cooper's dreams here uh, just preliminary thoughts. What were your general thoughts, reactions to this particular episode? I
1: think I felt totally different from the previous
0: episodes. I I agree. Um, I think I told you before we started recording that is it it's kind of a sleeper episode. At first, uh, you know, I watched it last week, and then I rewatched it again this week. And upon rewatch, I really, really liked it. Um, because there's so many little subtle nuances and little things that I didn't really notice here and there that I will I made a little list of things that I noticed uh, that I didn't notice first time around. But um, it's kind of... It's a very dialogue-heavy episode, I would say, more so than some of the other previous episodes. It
1: feels more serious
0: it does and i think that's on purpose i think that uh mark frost kind of knew that you know that that this this season was starting to wrap up and there had been some downright goofy moments mm-hmm. uh th- previously and i think that the the tone of this episode really kind of um it's really set by the last line of this, the log lady's intro. The fire I speak of is not a kind fire, um, and but not to say that there isn't humor in this episode. Uh, yeah, I mean the first scene of this episode is 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 poor Agent Cooper waking up with, um, I think they're Icelandic investors. Who are doing some sort of Icelandic chant or singing, uh, and you know he 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 leaves a message for Diane to, to send him some earplugs, and
1: yeah, he says he's she- tired and a little on edge. That that seems to be a, a famous line. People use it in gifts a lot and means.
0: I was just going to say that um, it, it's, it's almost a common thing. Like like the, the, this for an episode to open with Cooper coming down for his first morning cup of coffee at the, you know, at the, at the, at the lodge, the dining room. And uh, he bluntly tell, you know, Audrey asks her how, he, how he's doing. And that's exactly what he says, you know, he describes and... him as
1: a large group of insane men staying on his floor. That's pretty great.
0: <laughs> it is. Um, but, again, like, we don't see that kind of side from Cooper that often well, he seems to a be in really good mood. Yeah, you know, even though he's, you know, he's involved in this horrible murder investigation, he always seems to have this lighthearted kind of thing, but
1: it just happens. goes. <laughs> I'm sorry? This is what gets him. It's not the murders. It's not the um, familial abuse. It's the singing.
0: But I think that kind of speaks to a good police officer yeah. a good investigator, a good FBI agent. I think that they're, they know that they, they can emotionally disconnect themselves from an investigation because, you know, he's not investigating the murder, you know, the murder of anyone that he was particularly close to, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, he's human just like everybody else. And, the man needs, uh, you know, a solid eight hours of sleep. And he, he's woken up at, I think, three in the morning by socio. And it, but instead of like kind of taking it out on everyone else, he just, blunt, you know, he just bluntly tells, you know, I'm a little on edge, you know, today. And um, Audrey, of course, is continuing her flirtation with with him. And, you know, she wants to help with the investigation. And, and he says, well, shouldn't you be in school? And then he asks her. I mean, this is the cl- I think the closest. Well, I shouldn't say that because of the, the ending scene of this episode. But it it I mean, I think this is the this is the, at the, to, up to this point. This is the closest we get to Cooper almost kind of reciprocating by asking her how old she is. Um, because, you know
1: yeah it's age, it's weird age thing. things I, i'm not trying yeah. to imagine that on tv right now
0: i don't think it would go down well no, you know none of this <laughs> none of this show would be on tv right now um some of the language wouldn't be seen and certainly of all things it, i mean it doesn't it seems kind of incidental you know i I'm sitting here watching it but um I I would say a a good half the characters of this show smoke cigarettes. Yeah, that's true. There's a shot of Josie
1: smoking, and it's very film noir. But we we wouldn't see that now.
0: No, 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 no. That's a big no, no. Um, now, uh, I know I probably have mentioned this before, and if not, I haven't. But it actually came really, really came to mind because Josie's got this, um the cigarette holder which mm-hmm. i always think is a, like a hunter s thompson cigarette holder or right. the classic batman villain the penguin has that c- that cigarette holder and if you watch the old 60s batman goofy sh- you know tv show you know the penguin always had a cigarette and a cigarette holder it's and true. you know it's just
1: villainy, isn't kind of like um beards and kid shows you know if like um a guy has a beard in a kid show they're usually the villain and it's the same with cigarettes, because you see it in 101 Dalmatians, Cruella DeVille smokes.
0: Yes. But the times are changing, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't see... I haven't seen the live-action um, 101 Dalmatians, nor have I seen the um, the prequel. But I'm, guess, I'm guessing that she probably doesn't smoke, because I know for a fact that when they did um, the most recent Batman movie with the Penguin, they... Um, they put the kibosh on the cigarette and that's a PG 13 movie, you know, meant for adults, but that's just kind of the way times have changed. Where you know, uh, Oh, I should mention that this episode first aired on May 10th, 1990. So, you know, back in the early nineties, um, you know, it was more acceptable to have people smoke. But again, I mean, we've got, I, of all the things in the TV you know this the show we're, we're dealing with um, brothel, prostitution, drug abuse, all these things they, they would be okay for like a cable program but kind of shocking to imagine this this airing on ABC today where everyone you know is trying to be very kid and family orientated. Um, yeah, you I make could a very good on
1: HBO but um, I'm sorry I could see this on HBO but not ABC.
0: No, no, and I I, 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 think that yes, the way that the people smoke, especially the women, it is very film noirish kind of thing. It's they're almost always, you know, to the side. They're at an angle, and it's um like a frustrated kind of um kind of thing that we see. We see um, match and Amick smoke i Mm -hmm. I keep forgetting what her character's name is shelly yeah yeah
1: and And she's not an evil character either
0: no um although she does i mean she is a victim of circumstance and she does we we will have to find out she does shoot leo at the end of this episode (laughs) but um we got a little ways to go before we the
1: viewer was cheering in that scene
0: yeah, yeah, I know. It, it, Leo is not a sympathetic character so in, 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 in in this. Sh- every way. No, and and and, um, but we get um, a lot of talk. I it, and I noticed this. There's a lot of talk of food in this particular episode. Um, it starts with a big leg of lamb. Yeah, that's <laughs> weird. <laughs> which is yeah it's just it's just bizarre because it's not he's not even keeping it in any sort of cooler he's like walking around with it in a duffel bag and I got yeah, a think like the
1: log lady with the log it's just just something to hold on to
0: uh, yeah it's almost like I need something to do with my hands Your emotional
1: support lamb leg or something
0: <laughs> I like that um but there's also talk of um you know there's sugar cookies later and there's mm-hmm. tea there's coffee there's donuts and then th- there's something before I forget I did want to mention this because this is one of the things that I absolutely hate th- when they do it in TV shows and movies and I'm thinking that they did this on purpose is that in this particular scene we have um Maddie meeting up with um we're kind of jumping all over the pl- place, plot wise. But th- you know, this show's all over the place. Mm-hmm. But there's this scene with Maddie meeting up with um, Donna and James, and um, they sit down to talk, and she orders a cherry coke, and immediately, like thirty seconds after getting her cherry coke, they all get up and leave. Oh, and yeah, that's- every
1: show, they have to do that on purpose. They showed her ordering it with. It's usually just there. It's usually a breakfast.
0: It's usually it, like it's usually there, and I, I I gotta I gotta think that it was on purpose that they they're kind of poking fun at those those kind of tropes where yeah we're gonna sit down at the diner we're meeting to talk and um you know I'm surprised you didn't order something to eat and then like but they just get up to leave and we'll get into their conversation later on but I that was one of the things I noticed upon the rewatch I was like oh I hate when people do that like mm-hmm. they'll they order something and then they're like uh ah, never mind conversation's over i'm not going to even touch this but um so we get um benjamin horn and jerry and jerry is what one of my favorite kind of um he he's not in a lot of the show but when he shows up he always makes me kind of like i don't want to say giggle because that's not true but it just makes me smile and that's david patrick kelly i believe is the actor's name um and he plays you know uh benjamin horn's brother jerry and they're talking about the uh ghostwood development project and they're hoping to get the um icelandic inve- investors that had so rudely waken up agent cooper earlier and hopes to um um invest with them and uh they, they suggest they have this little thing where they put one hand over the eye as if they needed a secret code. It's only the two of them. I don't know why they're doing like their secret code one eye jacks thing when there's nobody else there, but I don't know. Maybe it's a thing brothers do. I have brothers and we've never done that but I'm another no,
1: so. all of this is, is completely new to me be <laughs> new to
0: you well, I'll just go out on the limb and say that I've got to speak for most uh brothers that are trying to deceive Icelandic investors that you know, we generally don't use um brothels as a way of enticing people, but uh, that's good to you hear you. yeah <laughs> um and then we get to um Jacques's apartment, and Jacques, of course, is the um bartender at the roadhouse i believe yep
1: we don't see him very much
0: no we don't um
1: he's talked about a lot but we, we never he's... really see
0: him i actually think we see him most in fire walk with me if i'm not mistaken
1: <laughs> yeah
0: and so they're investigating jacques apartment and there's some very um Interesting dialogue, just some witty dialogue between Agent Cooper and, and Andy. Yeah, they're and, kind of
1: uh, like helping Cooper uh, investigate because um, Andy holds Cooper's coffee and then Harry lifts him up and he's kind of ordering him around like a teacher again.
0: He is, but he does it so it's nicely. Meaning,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's not an Bec- Because
0: there's, I forget what Harry says, but there's one, there's a, there's a line where he goes, Harry, you're all right. And you could tell that he, he genuinely likes um, Harry and Andy um, and Hawk um, I I actually th- I, I think that they all kind of goof on Andy because he's pro- the most inept but they do it kind of in a loving way it's not a harsh kind yeah. of thing but I mean if anyone was going to have to get Agent Cooper uh, a, a coffee and a donut it's going to be out of the group it, it's going to be Andy let's just be series and um that well that does remind me have you ever seen the movie the boondock saints
1: no i haven't
0: oh okay there's a there is, willem dafoe pl- plays a very um effeminate flamboyant fbi agent oh, and wait, um, i
1: just googled it i may have seen this as a kid
0: and he yeah it's he um he ordered, you know he he kind of picks on the runt of the litter and the cops to get him um, his breakfast every morning. So that kind of it kind of reminded me of that. But and but back to
1: them t- in that as well, isn't there? There's like four guys. I'm sorry, like a group of four guys uh, in the like, boondock um, scene Yeah.
0: Um. No, it's well. There's there's two brothers and their father, mm-hmm. um, who play like uh, vigilantes in in, in Boston and um the first movie's really good the second movie kind of drops the ball um and the director's got a kind of a sordid past so if anyone's interested um yeah look up what that guy is apparently he's one of those people that um fame instant like instantly went to his head and uh he you know <laughs> not in a good way uh so we're at Jack's apartment yeah and and um Harry gives Cooper a boost, and he finds a a copy of F- Flesh World. This Such a this uh, it is. It's really uh, again another thing that's kind of I should have shocking. Control or something. But yeah, Flesh World just sounds yeah. But for, uh, I, but we never see how it's stuck to the ceiling. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm guessing that's probably a good thing. Um, I'm not going to say anymore, but um, we, we, you know, because he's having this conversation with the doc and Harry and the whole time agent Cooper's just looking at the ceiling. And then when there's a break in the conversation, you know, he gets a boost to get it. And they find um, that there's, you know, that the, the magazine, I, they call it a clearinghouse, which is um, it's, it, it works as a, uh, like a middleman between readers Mm -hmm. and uh yeah and they knew that they um ronette had an ad in there and then this this episode they find that um laura palmer had an ad there and um her head you know her head her face is not seen in the ad but cooper recognizes the the red drapes Mm -hmm. from his dream and that's how he knows it's her yeah, and I and think like, it's like, and
1: like it further establishes that kind of supernatural dream world as something that has weight in, in reality.
0: Exactly, and when I first, I actually looked up the subtitle of this before I had rewatched it, and I was like, "Cooper's dreams." Am I watching the right episode? Mm-hmm. Because we had, I thought we had already gone through Cooper's dreams, but this is kind of the the dreams, the the message of the dreams are coming through. So, so much in this episode. Um,
1: and it wasn't played for laughs either. It's like, yeah, Cooper's really quirky, but um, he, he's not hes not insane.
0: No, and he's so kind of casual about it, and, and you know, he says, did you happen to notice that's Jacques' truck in one of the other pictures in the magazine? Uh, not Jacques, uh, Leo's truck. They said, oh, that's one of Leo's truck there. And we also find out that the blood on the tight, ty- uh, the blood on the shirt is not Laura Palmer's. So the doctor finds out that um, it's A B positive, I believe, that is the blood type, and that could be Jacques' blood. And we also see something you had you had mentioned in one of our previous discussions how uh, Agent Cooper is very much like Sherlock Holmes, and. He doesn't have the old-fashioned, like, big, large magnifying glass that Sherlock Holmes, like, you always see kind of Sherlock Holmes with. He's got, like, a a modern kind of um, mini magnifying glass. And when I was watching that, I was like, that's another clue. You know, that's another kind of nod to Sherlock Holmes. So you were were right on the money with that one. That was... Mm -hmm. um, definitely kind of and, and 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 just the way cooper talks to people he throws over he's like he discovers these clues but he's very casual about them he's not very um so, boastful or egotistical about them
1: yeah he's like the a part of sherlock holmes even the different magnifying glass signifies that it's like yeah he, he's sherlock but we're going in a different direction with this
0: right and you know he's he's got his um it's uh, and i was wondering why they always the The doc, uh, Donna's father, is around for a lot in this episode. He actually actually joins them for the investigation. And I was wondering if that was kind of a nod to Dr. Watson from the Sherlock Holmes. because
1: doctors don't usually um, investigate with with the police.
0: No, not at all. And that's what I was thinking, especially when they're going through the woods to find the lock. I'm like, why is the (laughs) doctor here with them? Like, I don't get it. Because he doesn't really play any other role other than just to kind of be there and i was wondering if it's if that was a, a, an, an obvious nod to, to sherlock holmes um definitely wouldn't surprise me and it makes me wonder
1: about um cooper's dreams as well because if, if i had a dream and it came true to that extent i would be really surprised but um cooper doesn't seem phased by it
0: no he he doesn't he takes everything he's very pragmatic very practical cooper um which is which is kind of refreshing, considering we're in this wacky world of of Twin Peaks. That's where every other character's got this weird kind of quirk with it. I mean, we've got the Log Lady coming up, you know. The um, so I am going to just read a little something that um, because we're talking about Aja Cooper, we're talking about Kyle McLaughlin, and um, this is what the director uh Leslie Linka later, said about um MacLachlan. Uh He she she felt that he fully embraced and explored the character of Cooper, and that he was devoted to the character. He was devoted to both the comedic elements and to the dramatic side. And the crew actually had um, difficulty at times um, completing takes without laughing you know we always see you know it's it's kind of funny if you watch your favorite show you see bloopers you see the characters breaking i can imagine that could be quite frustrating um but i could see some of the just the way that mclaughlin delivers he's got a very kind of like deadpan dry way of delivering lines and of course he's talking about something you know he's saying some just ridiculous stuff at times um but um, it 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 never goes to the it never goes too far. I mean, everyone involved is very good, you know, from the people behind the camera to to McLaughlin himself, kind of restraining and not going too. Because we're gonna see some scenes later on where he, you know, he kind of goes overboard not not overboard, but like when he gets possessed, obviously, and you know, smashes his head into a the mirror. Spoilers for those of you who have never watched any of Twin Peaks before. Um, but I, I think that what I love about this show is that they give you a nice kind of palette cleanse in between these very dark and dramatic scenes with these kind of beautiful exterior shots of nature.
1: Oh, there was a lot of those in um, this episode, especially and shots of birds
0: lots of birds there's a black crow um, which is usually an ominous it was a black crow or a raven but it, that's usually not that, that's usually seen as an ominous sign there's a lot of talk about owls and how the owl, um especially when they approach the log lady when she invites them in she says the owls won't see us from here
1: it's almost like uh, nature is watching them because that's what I got from the shot of them um, either the black crow or the raven that it we were looking at the, the men uh, walking through the woods
0: yeah no I was I felt the same way that that because Hawk says something too about like there's the, the, the these woods know like the, there's a lot of eyes in these woods and there's a lot of ears in these woods um but i I noticed that there was a there seemed to be a particularly a lot of nature shots as you pointed out so I was able to find out that um it's a mix of shots That was shot in Washington, where where the film, where the TV show was shot. But there's also um, they also filmed just exterior scenes in the woods um, in California at Angeles National Park. So that's. um,
1: It doesn't look like a TV show in those scenes. It looks more like a nature documentary, which could be another genre that Lynch wanted to bring in.
0: Yeah, it it does. If Alvinberg
1: started narrating here, it wouldn't seem out of place. No no yeah it, it, it would like,
0: out of context it would fit It's almost like I said it's almost like like a commercial break mm-hmm, like it's yeah. like a break from the action it's like we're going to lay some heavy stuff on you but to allow you to digest that and like mentally you know uh process it here's some nice shots of nature mm-hmm. so it, it is it's, it's very relaxing they had this very nice balance between some very very dark things and then you know some beautiful beautiful nature shots is
1: this what cooper's mind is like is this what what he sees
0: oh i wonder <laughs> yeah. that would that would be interesting
1: close-ups of pies close-ups of birds all very tranquil and you know then you got the heavy stuff
0: and it, you're forgetting a good cup of coffee. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get it's if they weren't if they weren't planning something so ominous, um, you actually got a kind of a very sweet scene between Shelley and Bobby at, at the house. Um, and you know, Bobby says how much he loves when Shelly cooks for him, and um, and and. Shelly says that Leo doesn't like her cooking and um, then they kind of play out what what Bobby would say if Leo was actually there. And he's like, you're going to cook breakfast for both of us. If you say anything, I'm going to shoot off your ugly face. And then as soon as the phone rings, like his his confidence, this cockiness mm-hmm. just dies, <laughs> just dies. Um, but this is when the gun gets played into hand. And um I forgot that Bobby until the very end, the last scene, um, because Shelly shoots Leo at the end of this episode. Um, Bobby leaves the gun with, with Shelly and, and then, um, uh, what was it? Andy shows up at the house. Cause they're looking for Leo obviously because of the, uh, the bloody shirt and they want to know what's going on with, and his truck showing up in flesh world of all places. Um, and she lies to him. Um, uh, well, she she tells Andy that she goes, "Oh, why? What's going on? I just... Well, yeah, Leo's not here, but I remember him talking to someone named Jacques, and um, it's it's quite obvious what the you know what their plan is uh, to kind of get Leo out of the way so they could be together. But like I said, if it wasn't, it's kind of a they have really good chemistry together these two um, it's actors. It's a cool
1: contrast with the Doctor material. I'm sorry. It's a cool contrast with the darker uh, material that they're Right,
0: around. because they're joking around, they're playing with a gun. Also, the way that they they both hold the gun and they pass the gun back and forth, um, I can't help but notice that. Um, and I, it, I'm not the first person to make n- a note of this, but very often people say gun a gun is a very phallic symbol. Um, and you, you kind of can't help but notice that. Um, and that gets talked about a lot too, you know, and the jokes are, you know, you know, insecure men, um, you know, need a big gun to, you know, to f- feel strong about themselves. But it's, it's, they have a nice dynamic, even though they're two kind of dubious people. Shelly, not so much. Mm-hmm. Bobby's kind of a jerk. Uh, the same, I can't say for Donna and James, Oh my God! The scene at the gazebo. I oh, wanted man. that gun myself. <laughs> what? What is this? Is here. <laughs> this scene was terrible. It was awful. It, ha-
1: it has to be parody. It, yeah, it's, it's bad.
0: It it has to be because
1: James' traumatic past reveal. I mean, that that's very hackneyed.
0: It is. He dumps like his entire past on her in like in less minute. than two <laughs> minutes. He's like. Uh, that father I said was dead. He's not dead. He's a musician that ran away. My mom, <laughs> she's actually like a, a promiscuous. Like she's a she's an alcoholic that will just shack up with random men in random hotel rooms, and he no, doesn't. Don't
1: by any of this.
0: No, she's she's kind of, and again, I feel bad because like I I just don't like James. Like I don't. I don't think
1: Anyone does him. And-
0: even Laura, I remember, didn't Laura at one point say James is very sweet, but he's boring? Yeah. Like, he's not. <laughs> he
1: doesn't and do it's anything, also... well, that's the point. He doesn't do anything.
0: But again, he's, and you think of, like, the bad boy on the motorcycle, like a James Dean type.
1: Yeah.
0: That's not James. <laughs> he's like.
1: He's definitely like... a mockery of that, that kind of stock character.
0: I, I think he is. And, um. You know he's gonna he's gonna be with us throughout the rest of the se- series. Unfortunately, I'm not looking forward to to James's subplots in season two. Pretty accurate um, uh,
1: depiction of like a, a guy in school. You know, just just says nothing. Sort of stands there.
0: The the too cool for school kind of guy yeah. who just like has that that look that glare.
1: Just very popular, but you have no idea why because they don't really say anything and
0: they're not fun. Yeah and 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 then it's one of those things like you, you want to kind of know but then when you find out you're like oh that's boring <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not at all what i thought uh so you know that scene in the gazebo just like i i i don't know like he, the, it, i think it was the way he like delivered he delivers everything with so little emotion and I I hope to God that's the way he was directed yeah. because because I, I remember in 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 season three he su- he suffers some sort of traumatic head injury and he's not the same person. A little um, more
1: conscious in the return.
0: Yeah, here he's just he's still hung up on Laura, but he's in love with um he's falling in love with Donna. And am um,
1: as well. There's like a lot, and- a lot of people involved in this.
0: Yeah, we're gonna get to their. Um, actually, it's not a duet because there's three of them. What <laughs> yes, is that? It's really embarrassing. It, it is. Oh, it's also, a-
1: um, that that scene being set in a gazebo is really weird.
0: Yeah, I mean, who like like for a secret rendezvous, the gazebo? I I, I kind of think that the the whole thing is just kind of like like you said, it's a parody of these kinds of things. A yeah,
1: gazebo um, like dramatic scenes at, in like wedding scenes in movies you don't really see it like as randomly going into the local gazebo is that even a thing i don't i don't think it is
0: or i'm trying to think i i i saw a movie and it was two characters and they were you know it's a it was a romantic scene but they they both they get caught in a um in a rainstorm oh, yeah. and they see cover in a gazebo and it's very kind of you know it's sweet and romantic because you know when you're out in the open and then it starts, you know, the heavens opened up and starts pouring rain. There's no one around. It is kind of romantic. Just, you know, I think they to really
1: rain in, in movies. I don't
0: know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, oh, that great. no, it's not, <laughs> it's not, you end up all wet and kind of gross and, yeah. but, um, we got a nice scene with, um, with big Ed and Norma, the, the couple that like everyone's, like everybody's rooting for Big Ed and Norma, yeah, and they're they're both shackled in these um these relationships that are holding them back. Um, and uh, Nadine is working on her um silent drape runners, um, but th- then Big Ed tells Norma that that she's not well, and how, how um,
1: is they realizing this now?
0: I don't know. I wonder if that's one of those things that, like, he kind of just, like, I think that he realized that th- the opportunity for him and Norma to, like, be a thing, to be together, w- like, the reality kind of came crashing in on him. And he's like, oh, I'm actually married to a very mentally unstable woman mm-hmm. um, who I, co- in who I cost, um, he was the, the, he cost her the, the missing eye. Um, and then we get um, Hank, who had been um, released on parole and um, is, is going to be working at the double R. And then we get the introduction of, is this the introduction of Emery Battis? I think this is the first time we see, no. Is this the first time we see the manager of Horns Department Store? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and Audrey, Audrey, wanting to help out in the investigation, wants to work at the perfume counter because that's where Laura worked and that's where Ronette worked. Um, but um, Mr. Battis, or Emery, as she she refers to him as, says that she she should start out uh, wrapping gift wrapping packages.
1: Yes, just and, this guy knows what's going on there's just so many well, I, people involved in
0: it right and the last thing that he wants to do is get his you know get the boss's daughter involved in the dubious activities because like the, the perfume the the perfume counter as well as flesh world are kind of these ways of um of these pe of all these different people like hooking up when they, you know, when they want you find it, you know, you know, one eye jacks need some new girls, you know, the, the perfume counters where they go. And if you want to meet transvestite truckers, because unfortunately we do see a very, um, who is that man in that picture? Do you know the, the, the man that's wearing the blue slip? Yeah. Um, I
1: was wondering who that was as well, because um, am like, who, who is that meant to be?
0: I, don't know because it's not Jacques. Yeah, because Jacques's a very over, large, overweight man. I'm not sure who that the man in the blue slip was. Um, so we'll just refer him as the man of the blue slip. Um, and I liked it when when uh sheriff uh the sheriff said, "Well, he's no Georgia Peach." Uh, but so yeah, we've got can't this, tell if
1: that's the- problematic um, representation or not if that's actually meant to be. Like a guy, or if it's meant to be like a trans woman, because Twin Peaks has quite, quite decent representation of uh, trans women with the the character later, played by um oh who's that guy from the, David yeah. David Duchovny yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty nice representation
0: it is it is um and she's
1: very accepted and uh, it's it's not nasty but I mean anybody in the comments listening to this feel free to correct if if it's not a good representation.
0: Yeah, well, I'd be very curious to to see. And again, you know, hindsight being the way that it is, um, you know, Imagine this is nineteen. It's not
1: perfect. It's the same, similar with them, um, like racial diversity in Twin Peaks. There, there isn't much at all.
0: No, but I gotta say though, it, he's not. Like we we briefly see the photograph, and he's not like made like they don't make fun of him or say like oh my yeah. god it's got a it cross. It's not it's not. It could not,
1: be like a, I think he is a drag queen. I
0: think that is he though because I, I want to say that most drag queens don't have beards. That's my big thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I I I don't know. Maybe he's just maybe he just. And likes the feel of wearing women's clothing. Then yeah,
1: yeah, it could be like um, just like kind of an early depiction of maybe like gender fluidity, or, or just even like just pushing kind of gender boundaries.
0: Or yeah, just if like I like
1: show to like explore pushing boundaries in any way, it, it would be Twin Peaks because it explores a lot of issues that weren't talked about during the time.
0: No, right, and I, and I'm thinking back to um, like Ed Wood, who said, you know, who who was. Yeah mistakenly uh commonly mistakenly labeled as being gay and he wasn't he just simply you know he was very hetero he was a very much heterosexual he just happened to 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 like wearing women's underwear so i mean a- again another issue that's being tackled by a, a mainstream show yeah. On a, you know, on on ABC, it, it's, it's
1: not like a, a big deal. It's like it's just sort of, it's just there. It's it's part of the part of the show, part of the show's world.
0: Right. It, it's you know because if you're gonna, you if you're gonna pick out that individual to make fun of, why don't you pick out the the lady that talks to the log, for gosh yeah. shakes? You know, like that kind of stuff. It's all, it's a very, for as warped and dark and evil as Twin Peaks can be, it's also a very accepting place. Yeah, that's nice. So, it, it's a very odd juxtaposition, though. Like, um, and again, I, I think that's just kind of what the show is about. It's, you know, you, you got to have the good with the bad, the dark with the light, all that kind of stuff. And it, it balances itself very, very nicely.
1: It's depressing um, to think if it were released now, the kind of the, the rise of the, the right, you know, being so against diversity. It's, it's just kind of depressing that things are going a little bit backwards.
0: Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's it's absolutely disgusting. Some of the things that I see that come up on my newsfeed are um, just absolutely awful uh it, it, i i always go back to this the simplest thing to me when i when i think about it is i just go back to the depeche mode song people are people that's it awesome. people are people um but so in order to get a job at the perfume counter though um audrey you know threatens to what I think she says, I'm gonna I'll rip my skirt into and scream like scream my lungs out. Yeah,
1: that hasn't aged one at little.
0: No, <laughs> um, but you know, if for every step forward, you know, there's you know that's kind of just treading water. It's not. It's um, although you could say that for all these for all the evil that these men are involved with including her father um and the way that they uh, abuse and objectify women um it's almost like her only recourse is to use her own sexuality against them so there's there's kind of that i can see but like you said it's not you know if she could figure out another way to get to the perfume counter. Yeah. This is kind of like a, an, an easy cop-out kind of way to do it. Yeah. But, it's a
1: and, hostile and world for women that, that the world of Twin Peaks is in a lot of ways.
0: It is. So, I mean, and, and, and we do see the women fighting back though, because this episode ends with Shelly having enough and shooting Leo mm-hmm. and, and then we get to, um, of course, the um, I'm trying to see what, where, where, where are we plot wise? Um, uh, the close
1: ups uh, of the donuts,
0: um, lots of close ups of the donuts, and then, um, then the scene at the diner where, um, Maddie, James, and Donna meet. Where I already mentioned my, you know, she wants a cherry coke.
1: Oh, but Laura um, has a secret hiding place, and oh, but like Josie, it's kind of the gothic heroine thing of them—kind um, of secret passageways in a house,
0: right? Um, so Josie's got this. Um, Josie's got the, the you know, the, the two sets of accounting books. There's lots of. We see Audrey peeping through okay. secret hole, um, uh, like eye holes, to, to spy on people, and so then it turns to out
1: navigate this kind of complex labyrinth built by. You know the men in the town
0: built by yeah built by the um the patriarchy. You know we
1: get that shot uh, of like, the, the, the guys' profiles. It almost has kind of like a Rushmore look with the the guys in power.
0: Right. I think we yes. got two
1: of those. I think two. Of I them. think you're right.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, wow, we're, we're um, getting it
0: again. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so they they asked. Um, so Maddie says that she, you know she's for some reason or another, she's still sticking around. I mean, oh. the, 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 the funeral is gone, but I mean, she said she always felt close to Laura and she's going to look for a secret hiding place. Turns out the secret hiding place is that one of the, um, was it one of the bed bed knobs mm-hmm. twist off. And she knew, she knew that because Laura used to hide cigarettes in there when they were younger. Um, so that's going to be where they find, uh, she finds the tape. And um, we'll have to wait to next episode to find out what's on the tape. But then we get. um, But then we see that while they're talking, uh, Hank has been listening to their entire conversation. And you would think, especially since James and Donna were both facing that direction, they would have noticed that he was there. And for their little secret conversation, maybe not have a guy just out of jail, sipping coffee, listening to you. But I'm going to blame that one on James. They,
1: they should have so. been in the gazebo for
0: that. <laughs> really? And I I think that, that that was only excuse so that we could see the um, uh, Norma and Shelly um, coming back from their day of beauty and having their um, – their hair and makeup done. And I have to say they both, they both look uh, very, very good with these, like a beehive, well, uh, yeah, not a beehive. Is, it, they look like they, they, they walked off the set of a John Waters movie, but they look yeah, good. Hairspray, I was thinking that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and then the closing of this scene, uh, we get another glimpse of invitation to love where we see, uh, one character beating up another while a third character watches and originally scripted there wasn't supposed to be any dialogue and I don't so I don't know where this little because um, he says something he calls him a fruit loop I think after hitting him oh really yeah he says something like uh, what is it here we go. Chester, you little fruit loop, you're done, done, and um, that's, that that's well. so that was supposed to to be uh, again was was not scripted. So I'm not sure where exactly that dialogue came from.
1: So it was meant to like when they talk in prison, maybe guys beating each other up in jail.
0: It could be, or or also just. You're done. Done could be in reference to Leo. You're oh, done. Yeah, you know, true. at the end of the episode. But again, invitation to love, um, which uh, I mentioned to you previous. Uh, just started to record that the little title card for for invitation to love rests nicely in a in a pile of blue velvet, which is got to be a nod to. Um, lynch's masterpiece blue velvet uh, and, and i don't think we've mentioned that before so we've got blue velvet and red drapes so somebody out there go write a song called blue velvet and red drapes that would be a good song it would. uh ironically or coincidentally this goes back to a previous little note if you're thinking about writing a song called the man in the blue slip somebody already beat you to it YouTube it. It does exist. There is a song called The Man in the Blue Slip. It's very bizarre. Um, but I do recommend it. No, anyway, was,
1: you know. <laughs>
0: um Then we get uh the Log Lady. We we Oh no, before we get to the Log Lady, we get another scene of Dr. Jacoby being like the worst psychiatrist in the world. <laughs> yeah,
1: the most dysfunctional family ever is visiting. Right. Be, he, well, if the Palmers visited, it would be worse, but maybe these are the second most
0: dysfunctional. But as as, as the son of a psychiatrist and as someone that's worked in the mental health field, uh, I have never once seen a psychiatrist while in session sitting with his feet up on the desk with his hands behind his head. And then kind of... Br- he almost browbeats Bobby. Like, <laughs> like his line of... Ind- questioning is harsh
1: it feels like an interrogation or kind of a military approach you see in movies
0: right he was like a second away from waterboarding him he's like what happened after the first time you guys make love did you cry
1: yeah i don't see how that's relevant i think it's just more you know dr jacoby's perversions and i think yeah i'm blaming in this scene as well it's almost like they make out that laura's boyfriends to be completely harmless and kind of you know just sort of Victims in the whole situation, and I read an, an article on that before that they're more, almost more sympathetic to the guys than Laura.
0: Yeah, be I, and
1: because we get that kind of an overly sweet and dramatic music after it,
0: yeah, they do. And I, I, I just wonder it's because, well, because Laura's gone, we have to deal with you know the people that are still mm-hmm. here. But the way that he, yeah, the way that J- Jacoby approaches Bobby is just really. It's ah, uh, it, 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 like at first I was really taken aback. I'm like, what? Is, Where's is he going with this line of questioning? But then, like, he really he gets down to it. I wonder if the questions about sex were to get Bobby to drop his guard, because then he really starts probing about, you know, did La- did Laura, you know, did Laura laugh at you? Did Laura, you know, like what was she really about? And he says that, you know. Bobby tells him that Laura wanted to die and that she put on this, like um, this outward appearance, but deep down inside, like, but just like other people that, you know, people are really rot, sick and rotten, I believe is the phrase that he uses. Yeah, they're sick and rotten, rotten on the inside.
1: All killed Laura because nobody really did anything or helped her in the situation.
0: Right. But then, you know, he says, you know, he asks bobby did she want to corrupt people and he says yes and that yeah, that, that, bobby, was, that mm-hmm. was very weird um that's like talk about a- a- attacking the victim you know yeah. of, of someone who can't speak or defend herself
1: um i thought about possession as well corrupting people like literally being possessed by an evil force
0: Right, but people also talk about sometimes you're so... Uh, you, what is the phrase? Like, blinded by love? Mm-hmm. You know, that if you're so in love with someone, you can't see what's, like, really kind of happening. You kind of have the blinders on. I've seen that happen with, like, friends of mine, that, like, they're they're in, like, a really toxic relationship and you try talking to them about it and they don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: there's also the then, point that uh, she's she wanted to do good, but something kept dragging her back to hell. That, that makes me think of Leland.
0: Yeah. Um, and the Black that Lodge she...
1: could be like the literal hell, the, kind of the supernatural hell, and then there's like the hell of her home life.
0: Yeah, or she's stuck. She's kind of stuck. I, I, I kind of see Laura stuck in purgatory at this point. Yeah. I think that's kind of like what the Black Lodge is, is that she, she is no longer uh, alive, but because people even talk about, it. I think that's actually the only good thing that comes out of the Bobby and Donna scene at the gazebo is they talk about her spirit still being wandering and that her spirit is restless for a reason. And it's, it, that's a common trope that's been used, um, Gosh, probably since the Telltale Heart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, you know, that kind of thing.
1: The idea of the Black Lodge is purgatory makes sense because we see demonic elements in it, but we also see kind of angelic elements like the angel that appears to Laura in firewalk With Me. And someone did make a point about um, the black and white used in the tiles in the floor of the Black Lodge, that kind of old-fashioned uh, dichotomy between the good and evil is black and white.
0: Right. And then... It's a
1: problematic I- comparison, but... Um, tv and
0: movies do that all the time sure no they do they do colors are supposed to you know they're supposed to be you know certain colors are supposed to be representative of you know of certain things the black and the white the good and the evil more and then we have
1: kind
0: of right we got the more. yeah then you've got kind of like the gray. that's like where the shadows are mm-hmm. and then the the red curtains i haven't really i haven't Quite figured out the red curtains yet although i know that they're quite prominent um but uh we'll just have to see as the the I episode pre- like
1: hiding things you know closed curtains behind closed doors
0: oh there's so many closed curtains and then we see in the black lodge that there's like endless corridors of these curtains you go through one curtain you're in one room and then you you close it you and then you're in another room it's
1: it's really scary it,
0: it is it's maddening it's chaos it's 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 trying to navigate this like you said it's trying to navigate a maze that's you know that somebody else created um but then we get uh to the log lady and she's i have to say because there's not really a standout scene for a while leland's dance (laughs) <laughs> it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty noteworthy. We'll get to that. Leland Sands is pretty noteworthy. It's not quite as good. I don't know if it's as good as his uh, his last performance there, but um, I think the log lady probably has the best dialogue in this episode. Um, it, just because it's so mysterious, the way that she talks. You know, she says that you're two days late. Um, you were supposed to be here like two days ago, and we have to come inside so the owls don't see us and then she says because she had said previously i think she said when it's when the time is right my log will say something Mm -hmm. and it, it it now has come to light that um the log is ready to speak and but before we get that we get a we get the again we get like an exposition dump just like we got James's backstory we get the log lady's backstory uh which is far to me is far more interesting than James's backstory <laughs> um her husband was a lumberman that met the devil
1: and the devil was little
0: of water yes and and that goes back to the introduction that i had read about this fire is not kind and that this had happened i believe the day of or the day after their wedding mm-hmm. saying that you know that her, she lost her husband like the day after they were married um and then she she kind of i guess interprets what the log is saying and she says that um Two men, two girls, and lots of screaming. So they know that the two girls were ronette and Laura, and they're working on the mystery. They they think that it's Jacques is one of the men, but they're not sure who the other one is. We of course know that the other one is Leland. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it kind of recounts the the murder scene in Fire walk with me, especially because when she says the flashlights, because that's a uh
0: something I thought really jumped out in the murder scene. If I right. Um, so this is the first cabin that they come to. Then they get to the second cabin. And I suppose that another pe- a little piece of the mystery, the investigation is that they, wonder- they wondered why there was so much um, heating oil that that um, Jacques had like a-, a receipt for like get like l- large quantities of heating oil to, to and they figured okay so it was to heat a lot cabin um so they get to a the second cabin um there's a record playing and i i made a note of this because i didn't know what it was the song is playing into the night and cooper makes a note there is always music in the air and then they find waldo the bird which they had um gotten from the vet uh the, the file from the vet earlier and they find a poker chip from one eye jack and the poker chip was missing but, um it looks it looks like a bite was taken out of the poker chip and that I guess is goes back to what was found in Laura Palmer's stomach. Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: Actually, yeah, the cabin the- is very like the black lodge because it's, um, you know, curtains surrounded by trees. This time we have more curtains, but they're surrounded by wooden logs.
0: Right. And it, it, there's, there's just a lot of talk about the, you know, the nature and they talk about Hawk makes no reference to like, there's a lot of eyes and ears in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that line from Cooper there's always music in the air um which kind of just is I don't know if it's kind of like a meta reference to the fact that you know oh
1: yeah, everyone, yeah, yeah.
0: that that there this, this show has a score mm-hmm. you know like that there's there is always music in the air because you know there's there's somebody out there that's composing and conducting music, which would be Mr. Angelo battle um, RIP. Um, then we get the, um, episode starts wrapping up with the big gala from the iceberg men. Um, and Catherine, um, Oh, we get to meet Hiba, the 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 Icelandic woman that Jerry's in love with. <laughs> Who he's just what, what the, I think he, he's got a very odd way of talking to women. He says something about taking a swim in each other's respective gene pools. Yeah,
1: it's very Reddit in talk, isn't
0: it? Right? But then he says like the the alternate which is I want to cook for you and
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> which is very kind of sweet, (laughs) you know? He goes from, like, yeah, he goes from, like, basement-dwelling incel, like, let's take a swim in each other's gene pools, to I want to cook. And he seems very sincere about this, that he wants to cook for her.
1: He offered both kinds of guy.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, they say the the way to a woman's heart is through her stomach. Maybe, maybe. Uh he
1: opened
0: with that. I mean Yeah, if he had if he had opened with the I want to cook for you, you know, maybe then he would have had. Although there could be a language barrier too. So he thinks maybe I could say what I could say something to her that I couldn't say to somebody else without getting slapped. That could be something. Um Audrey's peeping uh is spying on all of this. Um we find, you know, Catherine and um was it uh, Ben Palmer? Mm-hmm. Um, are are talking? Um, and I love the way that she gets his attention. She just walks over and pours champagne on his foot. Now that's a way to get somebody's attention. <laughs> She's yeah, like um, a cat, you
1: know, just knocking things off shelves
0: and spilling. Shelves. Right. after her husband was like, I wanna go easy on the sauce tonight and she takes like the waiter comes by, she takes two two hand you know, two flutes of champagne. Um sure she so might she...
1: even like him when when she's drunk, you
0: know, her husband. Oh, I think she does say something like that. You might look good after a couple of glasses of this. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's just getting constantly damascal um uh, I don't know the word, demasculinized. I don't even think that's a word, but he's betting, he's getting cuckold. I
1: guess just just generic
0: Yeah. Um, And we find out that they're going to give Josie one more chance to sell, and if not, um, then they're going to go to Leo to burn the mill down, and that's going to happen. So they're going to talk to Josie tomorrow, and if she doesn't agree, then I guess the next night they're planning on doing it. Um, and then Jerry starts giving this speech. Uh, he, I don't think he gets more than two sentences in. And uh, music starts playing. And the music that is playing... Hold on, I made a note of it. Uh, the Pennsylvania 65,000, um, which is the song. And... Then Leland starts breaking down. He's already doing this thing where he's rubbing his knuckles like on his on his temples. Like he just he doesn't know how to process what's happening. And we had seen previously in the episode that he had shown up and he wanted kind of in on the Iceland project. Yeah, just for uh, something
1: to keep his mind
0: occupied. I... Yeah, yeah. He's just like, I just need something. He's like, I don't, He did, he's so lost that he doesn't even know, like, what he wants. Something I know um, scene
1: currently scene does music um, trigger some kind of transformation in him?
0: I think it does. I think you're lot right.
1: There's your a kind of, you know, insane, little scenes, there's, there's music involved.
0: Right, and this is not the first time that he's had a breakdown and starts dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, th- that, like, Ben Horn is just, like, done with him at this point
1: (laughs) yeah he says get your kobe get a net just get him out of my life
0: right (laughs) um and and to kind of to cover up like his discomfort and awkwardness of what's going on he tells jerry he's like like does he tell jerry to start dancing or does jerry just start dancing i think he tells people to start dancing so it doesn't look
1: jerry's just happy to join in. yeah
0: That's right. He tells Catherine, go dance with him right now, like dance with him. So he doesn't look like a madman. Cause like, would you, you don't want to do during a business meeting. You have this grieving father having a breakdown and (laughs) ran like dancing. It's just, it's just bizarre. And then we kind of get a scene of just, um, of Josie, uh, alone with the, um, the cigarette holder that I mentioned earlier. Um, and then Madeline finds the secret hiding place, tells Donna about it. And um, then Benjamin Horn comes in and um, Josie's there waiting for him. Are and...
1: they there too? I-, I couldn't tell.
0: No, I don't think they are because isn't jo- Josie's with um, Josie's with the sheriff?
1: Okay, yeah. Because Ben must have just been being weird. Yeah.
0: I think he, yeah, I think he was just being a creeper. I think he was trying to be intimidating and like creepy. um, And he succeeded. He isn't, he's not, well, I don't find him intimidating. I do find him very creepy, though. Um, And um, and then this is the uh, episode follows up with, um, oh, Hank attacks Leo, beats him up. And then Leo comes home and she seems genuinely concerned about him. She goes, Leo, what happened? And he goes, Shelly, give me a beer. He's like, I don't like, I don't care. Just give me a beer. And then um, she, he pushes her to the ground. She pulls out the gun and he looks at her and says, like, you don't have the guts to pull the trigger. And then we hit we hear a gunshot. And then we see the ceiling light kind of swinging back and forth, which is another, another just trope from like noir movies that they're, yeah. they're just they're just throw they they just throw everything. It's like a a jambalaya. They're just throwing everything in there. Um, I mean, so well, we there's don't in this show because
1: you know the fan that we see in the Palmer we... House. There's like an no emphasis on the ceiling
0: right the seal ceil- yeah well the you, you, we got the ceiling fan that from the Palmer house we got this light swinging back and forth we've got flesh world that was stuck to the ceiling in Jacques' apartment lots of weird stuff going on in the ceiling um,
1: uh, electricity is almost um like a portal to another world or a way of getting to the supernatural realm
0: oh ab- absolutely and and we're gonna find we're gonna find that out um as we go further and especially with season three and mm. um I'm trying to think: Is it season three or is it Fire Walk with Me, where he just there's a close up of somebody's mouth and he just says electricity? I think it's Fire Walk with That's Me. That's
1: very familiar. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, you're, a little, you're a little too close to this person's mouth, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. that, <laughs> you, you, you you could That's you could nice check stuff. out the guy's dental work there. Yeah. Um, and then we get so we don't know exactly what happened with Leo. We just know that that there a shot was fired. And then um, this episode wraps up on a very interesting... I mean, it could have ended there as a cliffhanger, but we get kind of of a double cliffhanger here because, um, yeah, Leo has been, we think, has been shot. Someone has been shot, or at least a gun has been fired. And then Cooper comes down, um, is coming back to his room, after a long day of investigation, and um, notices his door is open, pulls out his gun, opens his door, and there is a naked Audrey in his bed. Crying.
1: Yeah, the ick factor just went up again.
0: Yeah. Um, Again, um, I don't know if this is just Audrey... Using her sexuality as a way of manipulating or just kind of getting what she wants on the oh, yeah, flip she just
1: she just likes Cooper.
0: Side, she does and I, I think that she's just so kind of kind of like traumatized about the events of what's happening. I mean each day something like her father's cheating on her wife, her brother is who we haven't seen in a while um has some you know disabilities she's got this um unrequited uh crush on agent cooper so we're gonna have to wait to see what the next uh episode has to bring to it but uh, very interesting notes here about um from the director about this particular episode that um she feels that the themes of longing and desire characterize the series, which is, is true and is actually probably seen the strongest so far in this particular episode. We, because there's so many different relationships being kind of like different people dealing with these different relationships, Uh, Bobby and um, Donna big ed and um what's her name i keep forgetting her name the lady uh, that runs the diner the no um
1: norma
0: norma thank you so there's um you know we got the sheriff and josie there's a lot and you know um a lot of desire and longing and we see it really here with Audrey t- with that desire of longing and desire towards um Cooper so I think
1: there's a desire for escapism as well
0: right just wanting to get you know just need and just like with um Mr. Palmer saying I just need something I just you know I yeah. Yeah. You, you need some, like this this place is too crazy for me I, like I need to get out of here uh, kind of thing, or I need something to distract me from this, or else, you know, I'm going to get corrupt. You know, you have people going around being rotten and corrupted. There's just a lot going on here. And um, so this was a very popular episode when it first came out. Um, very good ratings, um, ratings that, gosh, some of these, um, networks would kill for it to get today. Um, and the reviews were very, very good. The only negative review that I came across was uh, somebody calling James's the, the actor. No, um what's his name? James Marshall who plays James Hurley this critic called his performance a quote train wreck I can't disagree he's <laughs> <It's laughs> definitely like my least I mean, I'm yeah it, it's like especially that gazebo scene for God's sakes I I wonder if Laura I, I poor Laura Flynn Boyle pro- probably had trouble keeping a straight face when he's like just exposition dump on her with all like his his background. I don't want any secrets. So, uh, my, my father's a musician that ran away when I was ten. My mom's an alcoholic. I it's just ugh, I don't know. It's just not for me. Um That being said, what were some of the highlights for you for this episode?
1: No, Leland's dancing. I know that's kind of mean because he's grieving, but he's evil, so we can kind of laugh at that.
0: Yeah, and considering
1: why he's screaming is pretty funny to me.
0: I mean. It- between he's like he's so good at being absolutely menacing and then distraught but also funny mm. like he's he's a very good actor very underrated um and it's interesting to see these um you know to to come back and revisit these episodes because previous to doing the series with you You know, I had seen Twin Peaks probably once or twice, but I had seen Fire walk with me. I don't know how many times. And I'm so used to those outbursts, like when he's yelling at Laura to wash her hands and stuff at the dinner table. Um, And asking her, like, are you still my good girl and stuff like that? It's very creepy, very, very creepy. So it's almost refreshing to see him kind of like be in agony. Um, Yeah. It's almost like, but then again, like you said, it's funny because like it's like an old ragtime song, and um, it's, it's I don't know,
1: him, like jumping on the coffin. It's it's just inherently funny to see him do things like that. If you've seen the movie Dead End, there's a similar performance going on. Uh, anyone listening, it's a, it's kind of a horror movie, but it's really funny.
0: Dead End. Okay, yeah, such oh, yeah, this like guy's
1: having the worst night of his life, and it's it's just so hilarious.
0: Oh, I love Love. I love, um never kind of reminds me of, um, After Hours by Scorsese, the guy that just has the, the worst night of his life. He, he just thinks he's going out on a nice date and all hell goes, just breaks loose. Uh, I, lo- I, I like movies like that. So it's, yeah. yeah, it is funny. It's funny to see kind of like, you know, as a viewer, to see a guy at the end of his rope. You got to feel for him because he lost his daughter. But on the other hand, since we're, we, you know, if if this is a first-time watch for you, you don't know that he is the killer. So you actually f- kind of feel sympathy for him. But upon rewatch, knowing that he is the one that, you know, brought up... He brought this pain upon himself by killing his own daughter. So it's kind of... You know, like you're almost given permission to laugh at this point. It's almost like... It's not funny until you kind of know the full context. hmm I don't know if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Um,
1: sense. Like, I imagine the, the viewer was that guiltily laughing at this before they found out, you know, villains origins. Right.
0: And that's what this—that's uh, what uh, Lynch is very good at doing. Um, well, actually, it, it, credit to Mark Frost. More, we got to remember. But that's something that the, the, the people behind the scenes of Twin Peaks are very good at doing is giving you permission to laugh at these mm-hmm. absurd situations um because it's not ju- it's not just they're not hitting you over the head with intensity over and over again you get these breaks you need that break intention. tension um and then you get a double cliffhanger here so um again kind of a sleeper episode it's kind of a necessary Episode, but it doesn't have that kind of standout moment of jumping on the coffin or it doesn't have anything really kind of iconic, although it does it does have that um I'm a little on edge quote. I have seen that that meme, that j- that gif, gif, whatever you want to call it, uh, been used quite often. So um another solid episode. So um any final thoughts? We've I think we've we've done a good job for this particular episode episode of Cooper's Dreams.
1: Yeah, we've we've covered everything and there's only two left in season
0: 1. Yeah, that's right. So this is so technically this is episode 5. Well, I don't know. Actually, technically it's episode 6. It's the 6th oh, episode.
1: In my head,
0: yeah, but it's known as episode 5. So we've go- and there's eight episodes um in the first season. So we only got two episodes left. So, um we're very much looking forward to that and um we're thinking about taking a, a a little bit of a break from twin peaks and maybe doing a movie in between seasons so if you any thoughts on that uh we do have a movie in mind and it is twin peaks adjacent but um that's not set in stone but what is set in stone is that we will be covering um uh, twin Peaks episode by episode when it comes to season two uh, uh Sean and I have talked and I think we might we might do we might bunch up a couple mm-hmm. episodes because season two is is murky well we'll say murky there's there's some really good stuff and then there's a lot there's a season two is in serious need of um an edit um mm-hmm. and I I think the problem was, uh, and, and I'm speculating, but I'm I'm guessing that I'm probably right about this, is that you get season one, which is a nice tight eight episodes, and then I think... I don't even know how many ep- episodes are in season two. I think it's like this, a,
1: the standard 22, and it just doesn't suit Sun Peaks at all.
0: It it doesn't. Like and the then return, thing-
1: it, it suits the return, because it's more of like a long movie, with a lot of abstract scenes. But um, yeah, this kind of standard TV uh formula um, or structure doesn't suit
0: twin Peaks season two no it doesn't i and i also think it suffers from too many cooks in the kitchen um
1: oh
0: yeah definitely. That's, well because and that's just by necessity because if you're more, so that's more if they're doing 22 episodes that's more than doubling their original run so and you've got um we'll get into that when we get to season two i think we've uh well We'll talk about that. But um, we do appreciate any and all feedback. Um, We thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful journey back to the Northwest uh, with Twin Peaks. Um, If you're listening to us today, uh, it is St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day um, from us here at Twin Peaks Talk. And um, again, another special thank you for cj's spooky world um her twitter is in the episode description thank you so much for another killer amazing artwork of uh, of course the log lady which goes perfectly with this episode so this is chris from the cult film companion podcast saying uh we will talk to you again real soon